um, young adult novels um, and play productions that are a little unorthodox um, and, do, and I do some directing. Um, I'm also a therapist, I work at Cal State LA um, and uh, I'm really big on the intersection of art, mental health and activism. Uh, so I'll be doing some talking later on today to at another talk here at San Jose State. And my name is Asia Evelyn. I'm a second year political science major with a minor in human rights. And I am the president of the Black Women's Collective here on campus. It's a new organization. So I'm founding president. And um, I'm also <laughs> and I'm also the historian for the Black Student Union here on campus. So the topic, these wonderful women, or should I say mamas, will be covering today is the race and politics of motherhood. So I don't know if you all know, but the theme for Black History Month is African Americans at war. And I'm sure we can all feel that. Um, and I would argue that this war can even be worse when you're raising young black men and women. So can you all share, well, we already went through um, your kids and um, the ages and stuff like that, but would you agree or disagree with the statement and why? So I don't, I don't know what time that we haven't been at war in this country. Um, so I actually feel like our shift is now moving towards less a focus on the external our external circumstances and more on what we need to do internally. I feel like um, that's been. There's no, there hasn't been a benefit to this presidency, but if we were going to scrape one up, I think the benefit is, you know, people showing their face and people finally being like, okay, well, now there's literally no excuses. You know, I think we, we're we setting boundaries with groups that are saying they're allies and aren't really allies. We're setting um, boundaries for ourselves, new standards for ourselves. We're setting boundaries within our culture. We're exploring what blackness looks like in multiple spaces uh, throughout the diaspora. We're asking questions that we haven't had the chance to ask before because we've been very preoccupied with white supremacy and the white gaze. And it's not that those things don't still exist. It's just that now there's a, there's a second conversation happening that's more focused on what we're doing internally. So, I mean, we're not, like I was saying before we started the show, this country's always going to need a form of slavery to run, at, run on. And that's always going to involve people of color of some sort. So um, that war will continue as long as this country's economic system is in place because it's dependent on um, free labor um, and by any means necessary. Um, and so that part will always exist, but there's a new front that I see happening simultaneously, which is us really focused on our decolonization process, which is a healing process for us, whether that is spiritually, economically, educationally, like all these different ways we can uh, decolonize and what that looks like. So that part I'm excited about. The war, I think, is nothing new to our struggle here. Yeah, we're at war. Um, it's, it's the nature of black existence in America. Um, but I think we're going to win. Uh, the thing that, the, the work that I do in healing us is so important to me because, like Dia said, it's absent of the white gaze. Mm -hmm. And we think about, uh, we talk about white supremacy, but most importantly, we talk about 
how can we rebuild? And the thing that I, um, the thing that um, most concerns me about being at war is um, deciding what are we fighting for. So are we fighting just to uh, switch power positions? Are, are we really interested in dismantling these systems and institutions? And that's a really scary thing because you have to imagine a new world. Mm -hmm. Like when the wall came down in Russia, if you talk to a lot of Russians, they said it scared them to death because that's all they ever know. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to understand that we really have to imagine a world that we have never, ever seen. And that makes me you know, um, really, really excited. Um, for me to, I have, I have hope that, that, that we'll win because I can see that creativity, because our healing, our love, our building, our resistance does not mimic white supremacy at all. And so, and it can't, it can't. I mean, you know, we have to reference Black Panther. Like, we just have to reference Black <laughs> You know, that was the thing about, uh, I'm not going to call him Kilmarnock. I'm going to call him Eric. Mm -hmm. um, that was the thing about Eric was we could feel his visceral pain. Um, and we had compassion for it because we understood it. But his fault was he was using the master's tools to, tools to take down the master's house. And as Audrey Lloyd said, the master's tools will never dismantle his house. And so his um, power, or his attempt to get power, mimicked white supremacy. But just looking at the movements that have been created, like there's no one figurehead for the movement for black lives. Mm -hmm. And people keep saying, you need a leader, or who's the leader of the Democratic Party? And the one thing I want to say to the Democrats is, look at the movement built by women of color. There is no one leader. Like, just getting out, I see us getting out of that mentality. So I have, we are at war. But I, I, we're gonna win. Ooh. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll talk. Yes, absolutely, we're at war. I think I um, am less confident in who the victor will be. Um, but I know for sure we're in the fight of our lives. Mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. it is ongoing, as you said, always has been. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like it may always be, mm -hmm. um, and that's a, that's a tough place to be. Um, and so because of that, I feel like less energy for me needs to be um, put toward fighting the bigger war, and more needs to be um, put toward surviving <laughs> and um, taking care of those who are around me, those who need me to survive through this thing. So I, you know, I would I say to people when I see them, and um, and I preach to myself. <laughs> in Facebook arguments mm -hmm. um, and arguments about what's going on in the world, I say, hold on, hold on. Save that energy for the mm -hmm. fight that's ahead. Because mm -hmm. we've got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. We're nowhere near the end of this thing. And we have to be okay. We have to be whole. And those around us have to be whole to survive this thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm in survival mode. I'm war ready because I have to be. Mm -hmm. you got to be fight ready all the time. But I'm also, at the same time, trying to just live through it mm -hmm. and be okay. For me and mine, I think I feel confident that we're gonna win because, it, like, there it's like there are two wars going on. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, I think that white people are obsessed with, oh my God, America's gonna fall apart. We're gonna lose faith in the FBI, and it's like we ain't never had faith in the FBI. Like, white folks, we ain't never. 
Mm-hmm. Half hated us. When we saw Kobe Stitcher, it was like, oh my God! Oh, that was the best thing. We gave him yeah. Stitcher of the Year. Yeah, he did. We gave him Stitcher of the Year. We gave him Stitcher of the Year. It was, it was brilliant. Just a little side note. Was it him or was it Mike Flynn? No, we gave, we gave it to Kobe because it was how he snitched. This is just a little side note. He, you know, like when white people snitch. Like they come with paperwork. You know what I'm saying? Like they had like a paper trail. You know what I'm saying? We're just like, well, I had waiting for the rebuttal. Like it was right. important he was waiting for. Like, like I oh, got some for that. Yeah, Hold like on. when they said, when they said, <laughs> yeah, too. and they thought this, they thought he was going to answer this question. Do you have any idea who leaked the memo? I leaked the memo. And so I, I think there are two wars going on. Right now, I think black people, I think he said, are in survival mode because we've always been in that. But we, we're also being more creative and innovative, um, especially because our movement collided with technology. But there is a war where white supremacy is turning on itself. And so I'm confident that we, we will win because I think the last time white supremacy turned on itself was during the Civil War. And we had that period of reconstruction. So I think that period will come again. And I think the one thing that black people are good at is we learn from history. Like, you ain't gonna get us this time. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that there will be a longer period of, I think there'll be another period of reconstruction in this country that um, because of technology and because of black people and people of color are, are, the way we navigate technology, I think that I'm confident that we'll win. When it comes to raising black children in a time of war, I think the thing that I focus on is black excellence. Because I don't want my children being raised with the idea of associating blackness with pain. You know, I don't want us to get, I don't, I don't want my children to get stuck in that. Like, we are more than our pain. So I think like if you pose that question to my kids, you know, there's the, well, my, my, our 20 year old would probably be like, yeah, man, we're at war. That's why I'm at FAMU. You know, I'm mm-hmm. getting ready, you know. But I think that my smaller children would be like, no. But I, I, um, I insulate them in blackness that's not associated with pain. Like their schools are predominantly black. And, you know, like I said, we, we focus a lot on black excellence as opposed to, only black pain. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the collision with technology and how we're mm, going, yeah. um, progressing forward so quickly in that way. Because it's, I think um, if we talk about the entire history of the world, we're in, we're, uh, it's time for another dark ages, mm-hmm. and it's time for us to go in a period backward, away from uh-huh. um, progress and technology. And we see a bit of that happening in the country, where intelligence is being um, mocked and education mm-hmm. yeah. being, um, you know, mm-hmm. poo-pooed and people are saying, oh, well, you know, um, the EPA is, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden um, be trying to be dismantled and destroyed. So everything that represents science and truth and knowledge is being attacked at this moment, which would and should um, toss us into another dark period were it not for those of us on the other side of the fight who are also pushing forward. Um, technology and, and growth and expansion in this different way. I don't know what will happen. But I think, so part of it is wherever you go, there you are. And and, yeah. and so when we look at the West, the West has a very linear view of progress. Everything goes straight. Mm-hmm. They never look back. They never look and say, 
oh, this didn't work, da, da, da. it's very linear. They don't, which is part of the problem. There's no reflection on, you know, what damage have we caused in the wake of these things. There's when no, you look yeah. at most you know, indigenous, African, or ancient uh, practices, it's a circle. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason it's a circle is because they know it's coming back around. Yeah. So when you mention white supremacy turning on, so we have seen that countless times. That is how this country started, was white people turning on white yeah. people. The problem is we're always collateral damage in that fight. And it's never about, we're always used as fodder in yeah. a fight between a class system between white and white. So that's not new, you know, either. And in the dark ages, you know, what they would call the dark ages is blackout. Honestly, the technology they're using right now was stuff that was being predicted in Kemet. So these, you know, they were, they could already tell you what the stars were doing. They could already tell you what the tides were doing. This is, the, we think it's new because we created a new instrument, but they were using whatever they had at their disposal, including their bodies, mm -hmm. to detect these very same things, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I was telling them, I, my, my dad, I went to Panama to visit my dad's family. She's Afro. So my dad, my dad is Afro Panamanian. If they're worried about the Hunger Games going, they think I'm a bail and take. She's got a bail. Take her kids. I'm not saying I'm not going to be watching from now. I might. I might. I'm not going to eat papaya. And then go and tell me while I'm going there. Arya should roll with me. Arya should go. Arya, go. Arya, Arya's gonna win it all. She's gonna win it all. It's probably not. Like it's probably like it's way. But when I, one thing that was interesting, I was talking to my dad's friend who's a chief pilot for the Panama Canal, and he said, um, he was talking about the difference between the new moon and the full moon, and, and the difference in the tides when that happens, and he was talking about it from a nautical perspective. But, you know, here when we hear that language, we automatically associate it with some sort of new age, far-fetched astrological thing, and this is, it was just, it's integrated into his life. And I thought about it, I mean, that's how we all were. We were, it was relevant to what we were doing at the time, whether that would be the crops or the fishing or whatever. We just, we were attuned and noticed these things. So what they consider, the, the dark idea is relative, right? It was also a period of very high spiritual enlightenment, very high uh, attunement with nature. It could have been one of our most, uh, our highest points of spiritual development. And with, and so going to the dark ages in this, this version of technology or this concept or this value system of what it means to progress could mean going into a high spiritual enlightenment. We see that creatively, right? This political pitfall and, and abyss has led to creative plateaus, right? I mean, creative like peaks, right? We're seeing peak creativity um, coming out of different, different groups. So, you know, it's kind of like, holding two realities gently like you were saying we have to learn to hold them together and see that where one thing is happening there's a counter happening in another space um that could be positive i mean i'm just trying to be right you know what i'm yeah. saying you know i'm just trying to be like i don't want to miss what's going to happen i'm not going to assume it's all bad i'm going to be looking for the good i'm looking for the light that comes in and i'm going to be ready to, to 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 take advantage of that as well and i i think that I struggle with the word war, but it's also the way that, that we think about life and death. You know, death is not an ending, you know? I mean, if we're talking spiritually, death is not an ending. It can be a new beginning, Absolutely. it can be, you know, a rebirth. Um, ashes are not always, you can build from ashes, you know what I'm saying? So I think it's the way that we look at this, and I think it's the way that we look at death that, that when we talk about war, um, 
I don't I don't think of war as the final moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think on the other side of that. And whenever I get a chance, I like to throw in the so fact that Jay Z video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's See, we should have known then. I kind of did right I kind of did right, but we should have known then that Michael B. Jordan was gonna be Killmonger. Because we should have known that. We were distracted by the fact that he wasn't wearing a shirt. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I don't care how many kill tattoos you got on your chest. I count. I count every. Yeah, I'm still here for you. Um. <laughs> Whenever I get a chance, I always throw in the fact that I met Elaine Brown with that. And we had like a Whenever I get a chance, I try to throw it in. But one thing that she said, well, several things that she said that always stuck with me was she, we were at Cal State LA and she was meeting with a group of leaders on campus and we were saying, oh, this was, um, I tell my age, this was like early 2000s. And we were like, you know, there's no movement going on, people just don't care. And she said, there is a movement. There's always movement. Mm -hmm. But what happens is a piece of technology comes along that the government doesn't have control over, and it collides with that movement, mm -hmm. and it um, catapults that movement into the world. Mm -hmm. It happened with the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement was 20 years in the making. Television came along and catapulted those images all over the world and took the, and pushed the 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 a, a movement that had been happening for 20 years because we had the Harlem Renaissance they were anti-war kind of like so the movement was happening and it um, fast pushed that movement fast forward but then government got control over television and so she said she said I think that you haven't had that collision with technology and it's going to come through the internet enter this movement was founded on what Social media. media. Mm -hmm. It's Arab, the Arab Spring started on social media. Mm -hmm. The movement for Black Lives started on social media. So um, that collision with technology and movements and people of color is something that, that like she said, that, that isn't new. Mm -hmm. But I think the interesting thing that we have to, the reason I think we have to hold the two realities of watching white supremacy turn in on itself and then watching how this like the movement for black lives is expanding is because now all of a sudden they want the government to control social media mm -hmm. because the candidate who people wanted to win didn't win so now all of a sudden we need to get control over facebook we need to get control over twitter and we need to have some kind of government control to hold them accountable and people are like yeah 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 because the russians came in and interfered in our elections but we don't talk about the elections that america interferes in on a consistent basis mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so, so so we have to get control over social media what does that do to a movement built on social media by people of color but they're not asking themselves that question you know what i'm saying so it's important for us to hold those two realities and to understand that we can always be creative and innovative and but but be ready and just be listening closely and not get drawn into their war so we can be used as collateral damage yeah so um this you spoke about healing so like how do we start that healing so what would you can fix of like how to start that healing and like how to get prepared for war because you said that you're also confident in us like winning the war so like what is it for me i i always say the revolution begins at home so for me that means you can't 
be ready to join a war, to join a movement until you heal within yourself. Because one of the ways that one of the ways that can hurt any movement, and if you read a case of power by Lane Brown, like this should totally be a movie. But I think it outlines this perfectly that when people who are damaged and do not deal with their damage join a movement, they bring that hurt into that movement and it impacts the movement. So the first thing that I think that we have to do is heal our own personal wounds, heal our family wounds, like start the revolution, do the, do the work within yourself before you um, want to go out and uh, be a part or build a movement or anything in your community. And not that you have to be perfect, but you have to be aware of where you're broken so that you can say, you know what? I'm broken in this area. You know, I was, I was broken when it came to black men for a really, really long time. So I had to be able to acknowledge that and how does that impact my interaction with black men? So a lot of the work that I do in my community is with black girls and black women. Um, but I'm conscious of the issues that I have around black men. And so when that brokenness comes up, I'm able to say, ooh, you know what? I can't really touch that. So, I, so I'm able to bring someone else in. And I don't hide it because I'm still dealing with it and, 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 and healing from that brokenness. So I think that, to me, that's the most important thing that we have to do um, to, to begin healing. The other thing is, I think we have to, activism to me is the process of freeing yourself. So I think that we have to already see ourselves free and not look to someone to set us free. You know, because then we're just up for a power grab. You know what I'm saying? So I think we have to already see ourselves free and work and work from there. Like everything I do, if I'm a free person, if I'm a, just ask yourself, if I'm a free person, am I operating like that? You know. Yeah. I think that's ex everything she said. Everything she said. Um, uh, the only pieces I would expand on are, um, or I, I don't know how much more I can say about healing oneself um, and making sure you're whole before you go forward. So I, th I think that you do your community a disservice, your family a disservice, if you're giving, if you only have a part of you available to give because you are so broken, mm -hmm. right? And so making sure that you heal those places in order to help someone else heal is really key. And I think that's kind of part of the work that we do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we work, we all work in healing work. Some of the, all the creative stuff we do is about healing people, yeah. but it's healing ourselves mm -hmm. at the same time and making sure that we are whole enough yeah. to give, to give to others. The other thing I do in practice is making sure I educate my children. And I'm learning alongside them um, about who we really are. What is the true story of who we are, who our ancestors are, and the, the contributions they made to this world from the beginning of time. And once you know that, once you have a real sense of who you are genetically, at a cellular level, deep down, it's been passed down from generation to generation, then you have the strength and you have, you have the, the um, confidence that this is, this is these people who did this to make the moors, the dodon, the, you know, the mm -hmm. astrologers that we talked about. Or some of the people who are in America, just look at that. Mm -hmm. I know. 
I'm, I'm having some issues for Black Panther. Even Black so American heroes. Right. Okay, thank you. Those folks are all me and a part of me. And so I have yeah. all the stuff they had to make it through. And part of this is also talking to some people, some elderly people of color, and say, how did you make it through? Help me understand what you used. Because this is a tough season for us. We're all at war. I've been at war. Still mm -hmm. at war. But you worked through some stuff that I have not seen mm -hmm. in my lifetime, and you survived. Mm -hmm. How can I do that? So learning from taking on those lessons of the past to help me move forward is a part of healing. Um, for me, every every bit of healing begins with uh, breaking things down, deconstructing them, and detoxing. And so that means if you're in a burning house, you're, you're going to smell like smoke. You've inhaled some smoke, and you need to detox. For me, that's decolonization. Mm -hmm. So I'm questioning mm -hmm. every aspect of my being. Oh, good. You what said that I, again. What now? Well, I don't know how I said so good first. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> Sometimes you always tell me one time, Tristan. That's it. I told you. You got to catch it in the moment. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> I but, but, you know, the question I started asking myself when I began this journey was, um, whew, and I'm going to be honest, some of the stuff that come up is not just on white supremacy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Some of it is stuff that comes up from your own mm -hmm. and, and your your so-called allies and other brown mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And so you gotta be okay with that too. You gotta that's mm -hmm. part of the process, right? Mm. Um, um and so I had to ask myself, I, I think a lot of things start with food. Mm -hmm. Why do I eat what I eat? You know, um, if we put it in our mouth every day without thinking, why do I eat what I eat? Would, would this be something that I would have eaten in a native land? Would this congruent with what my people ate? All those types of things. Um, then from food, it kind of just kept growing. Mm -hmm. I thought, I, I think constantly about how to decolonize economically, how to decolonize spiritually, how to decolonize educationally. Like, through, think about it. everything you have eaten or breathed mm -hmm. has been infected with white supremacy. Absolutely everything. And we're talking about living in a society. Live, we're still living in that society while trying to like, you, you know Shawshank Redemption? You ever see that movie? Where he was like secretly creating this tunnel? He always has like a pop culture I do have reference. Pop culture. Like all her But it'd be on point though. It is, I'm not saying, but I'm just yeah. saying it's always like a pop culture. In Shawshank Redemption, you know, he, he was sentenced to a life sentence, right, for a crime he didn't commit. Sound familiar, right? Like we're in a life locked into this where things that we didn't do, right? And so they didn't know until the end of the movie, sorry, if you haven't seen it, it's like 30 years old. I'm sorry, that's not a spoiler anymore. Like, <laughs> you just missed your opportunity. Um, he, was, he was slowly like digging this tunnel, right? And that's what I think about. Like I'm slowly digging this tunnel. I'm slowly carving out this space in my mind, in my body, and, and soon physically on this earth, in this space, in this country, to exist completely detoxed from white supremacy. And it's a process I have to start even before the physical space. I have to fight constantly for that right. So I question myself, why do I think that that's devil worship? Why do I think, who told me? That that was bad. Who told me that this was healthy? Who told me that? Who told even even people? You know, oh, this this is a superfood. When I went to Panama, I see nothing green in terms of like they give me no spinach, no kale. I was like, this is crazy. 
Y'all look pretty healthy. My, my uncle is 97 years old with perfect eyesight and he can hear wonderfully. And I didn't see one green vegetable like on my plate. And I was like, well, you know, they eat yucca, they eat plantain, they eat papaya and all these different things. And I was like, so I'm here buying all this damn organic kale. And technically my people wouldn't even run off of no organic kale. It ain't even growing, right? So, like, it's very interesting what we buy into as what, what the collard greens, the collard greens, though. But that's, 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 that's the American part. That's right? the American part. That's the American part. Me, too, and my people. Bottom people. No, I mean, my you're half, people. You're the bottom line is we are so. straight collard greens. We need to ask. The bottom line is we need to ask these questions. The other part is, you know, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it is that when I went there. When I went to Panama, I, I thought it was going to be a stop on my way to Africa. My, you know, all black people go African, get to Africa, visit Africa. Yeah, I and I found that when I got there, my Afro Panamanian family didn't have that longing. Mm -hmm. They weren't looking to go back to Africa. They was fine. They had brought Africa with them. Now, the difference was they lived in non-white countries, mm -hmm. right? So there was elements of their culture that was very much integrated into life and they had kind of just created a new thing and I thought about what if African Americans had just been able to create a new thing after slavery and we did, we did. multiple times yeah. but we get gentrified every mm -hmm. single time it happens right so they are just able to do what we couldn't do because we are in the burning house we live in the burning house that James Baldwin uh, refers to and so we have to do this really amazing thing that I believe we are capable of doing because I believe in who we came from um, of you freeing our minds and our and our spirits before we free our bodies mm -hmm. and I think that starts with, with detoxing so you know and with my kids I have like teenager stuff you know they don't know they detoxing I'm doing I'm working on a little bit at a time you know what I'm saying like I gotta throw in a little something here and there like a little just like sprinkle it but that's the process. Like even in what I'm teaching them, I'm trying to like slowly see that. Like, have you ever thought about our mythology? Hey, do you know who Oya is? Oshun, Yamaya. Do you know about Obatala? Do you know about Eshu? Do you know where this came from? Do you know any of that? No. We we'll, we can tell you Greek mythology. We can tell you Roman really mythology. mythology. We can tell you Jewish mythology. We can tell you all from the. But we can't tell you who our deities were. You know, and if I can believe yours is valid, I can surely believe mine are, you know? So for me, that's where the healing started. And that's where it continues um, because it just, there's something that just feels right. And even if, you know, no matter where, cause you know, out of the 10.7 million kidnapped Africans, only 5% came here. So we really need to think about connecting with people in the diaspora, in the Caribbean and Latin America, who have a very similar experience of being enslaved and then rebuilding culture that's African influence, but a new thing. Mm -hmm. We can be a new thing. And I think a lot of times right now for black America, because we've, we've been in that space where we're still in a white country, we've been longing for Africa in a, in, in a way that put a lot of expectations yeah. on Africa. Like yeah. that, that a lot of them, yeah, I noticed, like again, my Afro Panamanian yeah. family wasn't doing that yeah. to, Af to Africa. Yeah. They weren't looking for it in that way. They respected it and admired it as a part of their history, but they weren't like, save us. Yeah. You know, right. you're going to be everything. They created or, a new or thing. To back there they, is will be my salvation. Right. Yeah. They created yeah. a new thing. And I think we need to think about the fact that 
we can do that, but we just have to be added challenge of how do we protect it once we do it? Because every time we've done it, it has been um, And I think we have to be more committed to the healing than to the fight. Like, yeah. um, some people in the movement are committed to the movement and the fight. And I wonder, so when you don't have nothing else to fight for. Or the identity is locked into yeah, the fight. Yeah, their identity is locked yeah. into the fight. What are you going Which to do? Problem. So, like, if, if, you're, if your focus is healing, mm -hmm. you're going to go through the fight. Because that's just a process of healing. Like, you're just going to go through the fight. But I think that's why I struggle with the word war. Um, because it, it focuses on the fight. And being focused on the fight is... Um, if, 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 you are, if you are in a movement or a part of an organization that does not prioritize your self-care, mm -hmm. that movement, that organization is committed to the fight, not the healing. And when we get to the promised land, it, we ain't gonna be no good mm -hmm. if we're committed to the fight and not to the healing. If well, we we're not going to the promised land, because the fight will be wrapped up in our, right. our identity wrapped in the fight. We'll always need a fight. We will always need a fight to exist. And so that's why it's important for me and my children to not just focus on the pain and the fight of black people, but just to focus on black excellence, to yes. focus on black joy, to allow my kids that if I'm walking through the mall, like, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about what other people think of them if they are exploring the world around them that's brand new to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really think that's important to say because right now there's a, there, there's a, there's a movement going on and I see people are literally, people within that movement are literally dying, are literally walking away from the movement because they are tired, they get lost, um, someone within that movement hurts them, and uh, the organization doesn't do anything to heal that fracture. And so it's very, very important that we are focused and committed on healing and wholeness and not just the fight. So um, what are some of the difficulties you all face facing people in like, a city like LA? I, I live in South Carolina. Well, I, 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 I live in LA. I raised my kids yeah. in LA. Um, I can't, I don't know what to compare to. I grew up in LA, so I, uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to, Crystal could probably compare. Um, I assume, which is probably a poor assumption, that they're very similar to other spaces. Um, and with the internet, I mean, everything's accessible. I mean, because even if you're in a rural, rural uh, community, I mean, you know, opiate and meth are rampant out there because of boredom. So, you know, boredom is the devil no matter where you go when it comes to your kids. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to keep them occupied and engaged in something that feeds them. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also a parent that my kids would say, which I don't believe I did, but this is what they would say, that I started teaching them about sex at eight years old. I don't think I did that, but I do think I started teaching them about their bodies I did teach it to them progressively. I taught them about their bodies first, and then I started talking to them about relationships and blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. I'm very open and upfront with my kids because the internet is real. And so they can Google it, they can ask a friend, or I could have already given them the information. Um, so I think it's, 
whether you're in a big city like LA or somewhere else, it's like really crazy at times to think that you can hide so many things from them. I mean, unless there's certain circumstances. If, if they're going to find out one way or another, and the scarier thing is, even if they don't, when they hit the rest of the world at some point, um, whether it be at college or whatever, here, then everybody else know. Everybody else has already Googled it, whatever. So they're thrown in with people who know. And you know, they may or may not know, and they may be like, you know, I'm afraid, of, I'm more afraid of them being like the guppy and a tank full of sharks. I want them to be like, I don't want them necessarily to be a shark. I'm be a strong whale, you know what I'm saying? Like, like be able to hold your own, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I think like, you know, being the first to, being that first conversation for your children about any topic, leaving open, sometimes they say stuff, and I'm like, God, maybe I was too okay. It's like, you just gonna walk up in my room, you see I'm meditating, and you gonna come to me with this, like in the, in the morning, early, this is disgusting, right? But this is what they wanna talk about, and I'm glad they choose to come to me. Um, but I do think being, like, as much as possible, the first point of those conversations is important, and not being afraid. We've talked, you probably heard on the podcast, the sex talk was one of our, people really like that one, but you know, like, like Makisha's like, mm. But, you know, I, I'm more scared of them not having the information or having the wrong information. So the challenges are there, but I think they're there because of the access to information is everywhere now. So the challenge is how comfortable are parents going to get with being open and having the conversations earlier. So, um, you know, because we're military, my uh, oldest two girls have lived, now this is their fourth place to live. Mm -hmm. And so I've raised children a Everywhere. few different mm -hmm. places, right? So East Coast, West Coast, um, Central California, Southern California. And so um, the biggest difference, Dia is absolutely right, first off. Everything is accessible. The world is now in their hands. You know, and their little tablets is completely available to them. And so it's... It, that part it doesn't matter as completely much everything's available to us on their tablets because you ain't got no parental controls on there i mean you know she got you know I you know got parental you got that that government grade you got that government grade facial recognition you guys retina scan the retina scan i want to watch yeah. my abc let yeah. me put the let code in let me see what you let me watch it still on my nine-year-old best friends my nine-year-old best friend who online in one of the interactive games yeah like minecraft she we were so excited to have a new buddy, and we were like, yeah. "This could be an old man mm -hmm. in his basement somewhere." They yeah. could no, they can get caught up with like, that Minecraft. Issue. Yeah, my, that so Minecraft can get caught up. So that was a lesson we had introduced that we didn't expect introduced or not. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the world is still available to them. The most significant change for us moving from all those places was the diversity of the world around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, mm. so in Northern Virginia it was somewhat diverse, in Central California it was not at all. Mm. It was not at all. We were the only white folks in that town when we were stationed there, and it was uh, pain, difficult for me as a mother, but so for me. Mm -hmm. this, is where this, this is where this was created. Them black moms yeah. saved you, right? Honey, the podcast saved you. Yeah, more kids, yeah. Mm -hmm. black family. <laughs> but, um, so, <laughs> um, but. And so the <laughs> however, ra so raising my children in that space was a whole different ball game than raising them in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles, they see people that look like them all the yeah. time. Homeschool, not homeschool, whatever, everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. And we live in Inglewood. 
So everywhere we go, they see other children that look like them and that they can relate to and that they have some some common commonalities with mm -hmm. that they didn't have mm -hmm. just a year ago living someplace else. Yeah. And so for that, I'm grateful mm -hmm. for living in a city like LA did too. Just for the opportunity for exposure to other people that are like them and look like them and are completely different from them. Mm -hmm. Other cultures that we can learn and grow with. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thankful for that. I do know that there is a lot more there. <laughs> in terms of um, things that they may be exposed to that I might not be as happy with. But again, that's always going to be an issue mm -hmm. because of how global the society is. Mm -hmm. I think that's the issue that I face. The South is very black and white. Um, so, yeah, in a lot of different ways. So, like, um, there are very few, and I live in South Carolina, which is the belly, of the beast. <laughs> like, we the first to succeed. You know like what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, man. Like it's like, yeah. we gonna be the last. If the federal government says everybody, every state has to wear seatbelts, we gonna be like, y'all can't tell us what to do. If we wanna <laughs> die in a car wreck, we gonna mm -hmm. die in a car wreck. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are just, <laughs> just, just, just like that hatred for the federal government is still there. And so it's very black and white. Um, there's no necessarily people of color in the mm -hmm. South. I mean, more people, yeah, there's, there's not a second. So more, more people are moving to the South, but it's just very black and white. And so the struggle for me is uh, introducing my kids to other cultures mm -hmm. and having to explain to them at a really, really early age um, racism and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because, you know, we drive out you know, drive around the corner and somebody has a Confederate flag, you know, on their, um, in their yard on a flagpole that they raise every single morning, you know, or my, uh, our 17 year old can, you know, go to school with people who wear shirts with that on. So I think that's the, that's the difficulty in raising um, black children in the South is that the whole that white supremacy has there. I mean, white supremacy is everywhere, but the hole that it has there is visible. Like we just took down the Confederate flag and nine people had to be shot in a church mm -hmm. in order for that to happen. You know what's interesting about that? Like I have the opposite challenge with the girls, like because they're in the lady act like it don't exist sometimes. Yeah. And I'll be yeah. like, if you don't think some of these folks around you voted, yeah. They just yeah. not telling you they voted. Yeah. But every time a new coffee shop show up, I'm nervous. Yeah. You no, know, and so out here because it's not so visible to them and but I have to show them the subtle ways it happened. Like when you remember when you were at this school and this is what the Black History Month program looked like, it was off point, we was all getting YouTube views. Yeah. And now what they do for Black History Month here. Right? Or now how invested is your teacher? It's like really subtle. And they, they can't they don't always attribute it to what it is, to white supremacy. And then, you know, I look like the, like, you know, super, super black, pro-black mama when I do it. But, you know, yeah. I'm willing to do that, you know. But that's been the other my, the other side of that coin. Yeah, that's the, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. but that's, that's the challenge in um, raising kids in the South. And boys in particular, because boys, you know, I thought I was going to be the mom of, of girls. Like, that was, like, I had already, like, worked that out with Jesus. So mm -hmm. when I got, like, boys, it was like, Ooh, like, what are we doing this? Um, there's a, a break, having to break through to them is just very different than having to break through um, 
uh, to my daughter. So I think that I'm more challenged by uh, gender than I am necessarily um, that than I am race or the fear of them getting you know uh, uh, caught up in you know being around that being around not being around but just just being out of pocket and getting caught up in things that have major consequences. Because when it comes to that, I'm, I'm a very, you know, natural consequences. Like, that's what you did and that's the natural consequence of, you know, what you did. I can give you the information, but the choice is always going to be yours. Um, but gender has definitely been the most challenging thing for me when it comes to uh, raising boys. Um, so without giving away any spoilers, can we talk about the women in Black Panthers or how you all felt about Well, I mean, you know, we can tell you know, the podcast okay. all over oh, 700 million. Yeah, so I mean, like, if you, you should have seen it. Like, yeah. you yeah. had three weeks. Point, they bought out dead. theaters for folks. I don't yeah. understand. Like, you just cut off the podcast now or you fast forward. I we mean, are not holding that space no more. We gave y'all two weeks. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. If you ain't seen it, I mean, I don't know how to talk about it without spoilers. I mean, we can't. We can't. Okay, so then can we just talk about it? Yeah, we need to just talk about it. We need to just talk about it. Beware. He hasn't seen it. You know what? Oh, what y'all doing? I'm trying to find out somebody is at least bootlegging. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's on Cody or something. Yeah. You know, y'all know what Cody is. I might even write this down one developer last question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be, I mean, it's just going to be spoiled. You want to start, Nikisha? How do you feel about the women of. I mean, the women were fierce. The women were fierce. I want to be in Dormelage now. And, um, I, yeah, I'll shake my head for it. I'll do it. I'll do that. Give me a spin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I was pleased, elated with representation of women in the movie. I was, um, and, and there were subtle ways that it was shown throughout the storyline that women were superior to men or um, more, just as, if not more, adept, qualified, fierce. Strong, don't acquit. <laughs> Did you freeze? Did you throw? No, I never. I mean, we had no fight. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Lupita, don't you say anything more? Just yeah. Lupita, right? So, um, the the piece that um, those who have not seen it, close your ears, tell me whatever. Uh, the part where T'Challa was asked. Um, who he was going to take with him mm -hmm. to get Cloud, right? Mm -hmm. To the casino. To the casino. To that infamous scene, he chose the most fierce warrior and the most adept spy, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And both of them women. It was no, it was no, you know, no rhino guy couldn't go. I don't even know his name. Rhino guy. Um, <laughs> he was in a sunken place. He was. He, was, <laughs> he is in a sunken place in all place. the movies. <laughs> But um, <laughs> that's, just, that's the role he played, right? But um, yeah, so he was not even a consideration because he was not in the, the third man to come in was not a man was little baby sister. So you know what I mean? Like so, there was never a time where there was a question about whether or not the women were capable to do the job at hand. Um, even in even at that moment, again, spoiler, uh, at that moment where. Um, the rhino was about to do some real damage, a woman, you know, stepped mm -hmm. forward 
to stop Save it. Save Umbaku. Listen, we're not talking about Umbaku. Okay, sorry. So, um, you know, I think it, I think it was very clear. I was very pleased. I was, I'm excited for my girls to see it. Um, we'll be taking them soon. Um, and, and to see themselves through the women on the screen and see themselves as completely capable for, you know, this is not a common thing. It's not a common thing in movies. Uh, to see black women as completely capable and um, able to own, having agency, having resilience, and stamina. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So women in the movie, I was completely pleased with it. I, I know there is a another thought. Yes, I got I, I got some issues. I'll have some thoughts on that. Some some after after you share. I got some issues. Yeah, you go ahead. I, um, I feel like, see what happened when we trust black women? It ain't. <laughs> I mean, you see what happened? It's, it could be... It, it could all be so simple. It don't want to say, but you're rapping, make it hard. <laughs> you're rapping, make it hard. So I just culture reference. Always. A culture reference. Always. But I mean that's what I mean that's what I felt. Like they trusted the women. Like that's what it looks like to trust women. You trusted them with the technology that, that preserved your space. You know, they weren't they weren't questioned or undermined or minim minimized and like Look at what you can do. Like, you just, I mean, don't make me go into, like, the fact that all of this, where we are right now, has rapidly declined under patriarchal rule. Mm -hmm. When we had a matriarchal society for a long, there's just something, that there's a balance that women bring very, very naturally to spaces. Mm -hmm. When we are allowed to do that. I think the biggest issue is the interruption of that. So I was mm -hmm. like, the whole time I was like, see, you could have had a Wakanda, Eric, but you know where you live? They don't trust black women, you know? And so look at, look at it, hot mess. Ain't got no schools, ain't got no nothing. You're angry, everybody die all the time. No tears well, for your daddy. No tears for your daddy. No tears for me. No But that was the other contrast. A society that really valued women as equals and a society that didn't. And you could see the, the rapid decline in those spaces. I thought that was great. I also loved the 16-year-old in, in STEM who was like leading the tech, technology and like innovative and creative. And she showed how artistic and, and expressive technology can be. Um, and, and that was really great for my, my kids to see. So yeah, that, you know, just, I mean, you could be in the Wakanda if you just, you know, don't question me all the damn time, you know. I, I, I appreciated the women in the film. I really appreciated the fact that um, the majority of the women in the film were dark-skinned mm -hmm. women. Four seasons. Yeah, and four seasons. Four seasons important. Four seasons important. You don't know what four seasons is. Four seasons. It's a curl pattern. Yeah. It's a curl. Four seasons are no hair at all. Four seasons are no hair at all. So but you can tell, like, the Yeah, it was still a four seasons. Yeah, choose You can probably feel like it grew out a little bit. <laughs> we would know, but so, they can't make a I I appreciated um, the women in the film. the uh, The general of the army in Tadahasi Coates' version of the Okoye. Okoye in the I think in his uh, graphic novel. I think she's um, gay mm -hmm. in the graphic novel. So that was a little disappointing. I understood why they did it because they needed a foil, that they needed that her relationship with her husband to be a foil and a metaphor. So I get why they did it, but it was just a little disappointing. You know, I, I the women were so fierce. It was, they had, he had an all woman army. So my question is why we didn't a king? Like, 
why her husband died, why couldn't Angela just be the queen? Mm -hmm. Like, why couldn't he be the prince and she be the queen? He still would have had to protect Wakanda and all that stuff, but why do we have to have a king? Why couldn't, you know, she just be queen and that was it? So that was, you know, my issue. I, you know, the more that I think about the film, I do feel some sort of way that there was no black American woman other than the one that Eric mm -hmm. killed. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know where she was from. Right. I think yeah, they were, that was right. that, 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 that Because she was like a 3C. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. No, that was totally different. Was, that was very different than 4 So that was, so that was not in the 4 You don't think she was American? Oh. I don't think she was. I think they, the museum was in Britain. Yeah, yeah the museum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, that, so I don't think they ever even, now you're saying, but I don't think they ever went back to America. Not until not the flashbacks with only Aaron. the flashbacks. Okay, mm -hmm. so then that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then I don't have an issue with that anymore. But I do feel like why she why couldn't Angela just be the queen? Like why did he have to come back and be um, king in this society that clearly is dependent on women? Even the way when he walked the streets, like the way you know he he was a he was a king, but you know the way in which he roamed his own streets was just very. Um, of the people, you know, you could tell that he lives in a matriarchal society. But I thought the women were, I thought they were fierce. I thought Lupita is the most radical, her character, what's her character's name? Nakia. Nakia. I thought she was the most radical person in the play because she, she wanted Wakanda to go help all the other uh, black people suffering in the world, but she didn't want to do it in the way her, her resistance didn't mimic white supremacy. And so a lot of people are saying, oh, Eric was like the Black Panthers here, which he wasn't. He's like the Black Panthers here, and he's so radical. And I, I, it's interesting that they miss her radicalness because it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like what we and think of. And she was the ultimate influence on the show. She, she was. She was. She was. She was. When he found about his daddy, he would be something about it. Yeah. I wouldn't spoil it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so then my next question was, if you could be any of the women, who would you be? I know. Okay. 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 You were very clear about that. Yeah, very clear. Yeah, that's Facebook told me I could naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Did Facebook tell you? Yeah. Said, I got yeah. killed longer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I, I think I probably like uh, surely. Sure. I wouldn't be any of them. I um tells us that this is about to take a turn. This <laughs> is about to take a turn. And and I just want to say that this woman she's representing Crystal to the Kirby and not the other white mom. Because I don't know. He did abandonment. See why I think she's not abandonment. It's totally about branding. It's about branding. I told you to learn Spanish with me. And you said you're gonna learn French. I can't help you in Panama. I don't know if I'm even gonna learn French. I don't know. I think I'm gonna make up a black American. If you think there ain't gonna be Spanish um, in the Hunger Games, you've got to get you've got to get some things. But I I wouldn't be any of them. Um, if it's because she's hoping to star in the sequel. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, if, 
in the sequel, <laughs> Brian Coogler is listening. I would like to, and he is from the Bay. Brian, hit me up, dimblackmamas at gmail.com. Or <laughs> oh, Crystal Tennille Urban Rats, because I write too, Brian. Um, but I would like to be Killmonger's mother. Mm. Um, because I think her story was not told, and I think it's vital. Um, because he wasn't a gangster. He went to MIT. Really? Then he joined the military. He was a product of the military. Yeah, he's a tra- he's a product of the military industrial complex, which is the reflection mm-hmm. of white supremacy. You know what I'm saying? So he wasn't this person who joined gangs and all that stuff. I, I thought it was a very interesting and intentional route that Ryan took. But I would like to play his mother. Or Storm, because you know, in the in the book. He marries Storm, and they yeah, have kids, Shana and then he cheats on her, yeah. and has kids with another woman. So Sushana ain't perfect, okay? So we know that. Well, we know that from his dad. You we know that from his dad. I mean, a good, an hard boy, good man to be king. You know, that's like that's like when preachers start preaching about David, and you know that they cheated. That they cheated. You know that they. You know that they cheated. When he said they that in the beginning, David. I was like, it's true. Mm, he did something wrong. It's, it's like true. when they start preaching about. And then David, they said, "Fifth for you to go gossip about the fact that they cheated." Yeah. You know, David had all these wives. But yeah, I would be the kill because I think that that's the story yeah. of black women in America, mm-hmm. and I think that that's I think that that's the story. So Ryan, you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make this a clip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna clip out the part where I said it's gonna be a clip. <laughs> 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 the clip part just said. <laughs> yeah. So now I want to move into you all's podcast. So um, in your podcast, you ladies talk about so many topics ranging from the sex talk, news, politics, postpartum depression. So like, what are, I want to know some of the tips that you would give to like college students, specifically college women, if there are any relationships and friendships. Oh, there'll be tips. Just waiting to see who jumps in here. I just have, do we have language? Um, Oh my, oh. Do you have language? No. No language? Okay. I'm checking in for everybody. Thank you. Yeah, I'm checking in for everybody. Come on, you curse a lot. You just stop No, I do, but I know what you're going to say. That's not even going to be my tip. It's not even going to be my tip. It's not even going to be my tip. That's what you're going to be my tip. It's not going to be my tip. What's your tip? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm thinking. Now she's going to do a new tip. I went first the last time, so you guys go. Mine is clean. Mine is clean. So for college women, what are you talking today? So I would say um, one of the things that I uh, regret that I, uh, because I didn't do it in college, is to really um, live in the experience, stay in the present, Mm -hmm. and enjoy that moment in time for a a season I would never have again, right? Um, And um, to really dive deep into myself and figure out what it is I'd love to do. What do I want to contribute to the world? And figure that out. I should have figured that out then. I could have spent a lot more time than the last 20 years doing that. Um, that thing. But I think that college is a time where you really have the opportunity to, unlike any other period in your life, to really devote um, energy and space and time to figuring out who you are, what you love to do, and what you want to contribute to the world. Do not do the thing your family wants you to do just because. Mm. You know, do not seek the career path 
that someone has told you will be profitable, um, do the thing that you really, really love, and I promise you'll be successful at it. Um, I definitely agree with that. So, you know, I'm a therapist on a college campus. Mm -hmm. And I say this with all due respect. Mm -hmm. With all due respect. Nothing throws college women off their game like relationships. And I'm not saying Ooh, don't have somebody them. Somebody, 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 somebody got set free. Somebody got set free. Somebody got set free. Nothing. Your grades. Now you want me to do a medical withdrawal. I can't do a medical withdrawal over there. I need you to be able to bounce back. So nothing throws y'all off your game like relationships in college. You could be like on the path, on the track, everything, and then all of a sudden you in my office every week trying to pull it together, talking about you know if you're gonna pass this class. You pass the other one. <laughs> you know, and this one is on to the next. And that is literally, I promise you, he's on to the next. I don't get anything in five years or five minutes. That happens every single time. Because for with all due respect, <laughs> if it's a if it's a relationship with the man, they don't have a downtime in between relationships. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, they don't heal in between relationships. They heal during them. Yeah, they wait. They, they, they heal during them. And so they jump into, I have people heartbroken. I gave five years, I gave, yeah, and he's dating somebody else, right? Yeah, okay, because it ain't about what you did. It ain't about what you did this way. It's about the fact that, you know, he only sees the opportunity to not feel that if he's in a relationship. Meanwhile, you fail in this class that you need to graduate. So, I mean, I don't want to say abstain from relationships. I'm a realist. I believe, and like I said, this is specifically if you're, if we're talking about men, relationships with men, because I don't see this as much in, um, like, my same-sex relationships. Really? I, I just don't see that much. I don't see, I think they both process the breakups. But it's like something, it's just different. It just happens. I'm not saying every single time, but it's like pretty consistent. I, I don't have the size. But, um, but I would say that, um, that you can have someone that you like to have fun with. I think that's important because we all need stress relievers, and that's all I'm saying about that. But I don't think that, I don't think that you have to like think about like marrying your stress reliever. Or like, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to. It don't have to be all that. It could be like, you know, midterms is coming up. Can I schedule you for the week before? <laughs> <laughs> it can be like, I'm just, it's real. You got to get through four years or more. You can't do that. Distracted. And there's a lot of ways to be distracted. So I feel like you know where the high seasons are. Midterms and finals. Keep things right or five. And I mean, you really can do without the rest of the drama because, like Nikisha said, this is this is your only time in this space. After this, you're going to commit to a job or a family or something that's going to take away from your focus on yourself. And so, if, in order to do that wholeheartedly, I'm just saying, don't be like so like relationship oriented. The best relationships to focus on in college, in my opinion, are your friendships because those are the ones that are going to last you long after you leave this campus if you do them right, if you take care of them. Also, your professional ones. Are you doing internships? There's a ton of resources that y'all don't take advantage of. You know, trips abroad, there's like 
all these opportunities and you sitting up in here crying. You know what I'm saying? Like, we ain't got time for this. This is not what we sent you to school for. And crying over this food, dorming next door. I, would, I can't. I can't. I would say, you know, you need a stress relief. However you want to do that. I'm not giving any whatever instructions. But you don't need the drama. And you don't need the extras. And you don't need to be over committing to these relationships that may or may not. You need to commit to your experience here. Maximize resources. Network. Know your professors. People who can get you indoors. Make solid friendships. And you once you go, you know, then you can decide if you want to be caught up in this all that. This is where marriage. an important part of sex education come, comes in. Like with stress relievers. Because... You don't need a person to. You don't, but you don't need a person to leave you. I get that. I totally get But I do think sometimes it comes in handy. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's like, you know, you can't always get the middle of your back. Somebody got somebody, I mean, somebody true, got to scratch your back. I mean, batteries. Somebody needs to scratch your back. I'm just saying. So, to the middle of your back? Sometimes you don't feel like you can go. Sometimes you don't feel like you can go. But I'm just saying. There's some itches that you can't scratch. Sometimes you need that human to human connection. I get that. But I know that. But I'm saying, give yourself options. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Like, if you can't schedule them in, make sure you got that. Or if it's the stress reliever you had in mind is not up to par. Perhaps make sure you have some backup. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just saying you got options. Sure, you need a plan for that. And I, I just need a life lesson on what you said about. Don't use me as an excuse for what you're about to do. Oh, no, I can see the setup. It's coming. Okay, I want to piggyback on what you're saying about the friendships. I met Nikisha in college. True. And so we've been friends for a long time. So I think those friendships are so, so important to your survival because you need a good group of friends that know your dreams and they're going to hold your feet to the fire and they're going to say, oh, I thought you wanted to do this. I thought you wanted to do that and just and, and really, really hold you to your dreams. And you also need them to tell you, girl, pull up. Like, you know, when you're in too deep and can't mm -hmm. pass your finals and, you know, can't pass, have nobody to, you know, you want that one person to be the stress reliever or you just in too deep and you've lost yourself, you need a friend to be like, girl, you Don't buy that plane ticket across yeah. the country. Don't do he it. ain't worth that. She's having it. flashbacks. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying. I still kept that ticket as a reminder. Though. I'm saying. You need good, you, you need good friends um, to to hold you accountable and to pull you out when you don't even know that you're drowning. And that's for after college, because part of the reason we all stay married is each other. This is I true. I mean, our husbands Max. are very grateful for this, this friendship here. This is true. This My is husband true. even says, why don't you call Crystal, see what she's going to say, in the middle of an argument. This He'll say, you need, why, don't take, why don't we take a break and you go call Crystal and ask her what she thinks. This is true. But you, you, need, you need those friends. So I, I think that um, sometimes women can come to college and uh, like get distracted and then you lose those you lose those friendships so I think that that's important um, the other thing that I was going to say is travel mm -hmm. I think that if you have the opportunity to travel or take the opportunity to travel um, maybe the first year you go 500 miles outside of where you live and a thousand miles beyond where you live and 3,000 miles beyond where you live to know that 
um, the way that you exist and what exists around you is not it. So I think friendships and travel are the most important thing. The last thing is I'm gonna say is, for lack of a better reference, you gotta learn to pick the cotton. And what that means is, it's great to have dreams. I think that you should follow your dreams, pursue your passion, find something that you love and find a way to make money out of it, but bills are real. And so, you know, know how to feed yourself. That's what I mean by sometimes you're gonna have to take on jobs or work that you don't want to do in order to pay your bills. Know that you're not failing, but that is just a part a part of life and that's a temporary thing use it as a means to an end sometimes you just gotta pick a cotton so see i gave it clean you did gave it clean i was nervous let's see what they ask do we got questions oh we got questions okay we got questions so the one first question i think you all kind of answered it a little bit um but this one's from i'm not gonna say the name um how do you know when to let go of a relationship or when to keep trying to make it work the fact that you ask that question is it's time to let go whenever that question come up it's time to let go i feel like um i always tell people if yeah you find yourself consistently shrinking yeah if you find yourself consistently like um Thinking of ways to rationalize yourself away. Um, and I, it, there's a people don't always know the difference between like compromise in relationships and abuse. Um, compromising, usually there's a mutual growth that happens through that process because there's sometimes things I should let go of and look at and reflect on and change. You know, my, my partner as well. But abuse is like like a slow chipping away and you become smaller and smaller. You start to do less of what you enjoy. You start to express yourself less. And so I think in a lot of ways, like what Chris was saying, it is when you feel like I have to choose between myself, like my sanity and my health and this relationship, you have to go. Mm And here's the thing, if it's a good relationship and it's just in a bad spot, nine times out of ten it'll work out after you let it go. Because it needs to be born in something else again. It needs to be revisited. You know, it needs to die. That version of that relationship needs to die. And then you have to, if you're going to restart it, you have to restart it as with a new agreement. These relationships are all agreements, contracts. They really are. And so sometimes we hold ourselves to the agreement we had at the beginning. Especially if you have an inflexible partner. If you have a flexible partner, you're able to morph and change that and renegotiate as you go on. And that's not as necessary, even though sometimes we may come to a mutual agreement that this version of us gotta go. And let's start again, you know, and rebuild. But if you have an inflexible person, that can happen. And and that's the person that's more interested in control than they are interested in growth. And how are we gonna do a life? How are we gonna do a lifetime like that? Things change, economies change. Weather changes, everything changes. So if it weight, weight changes, everything. I mean, so being being in being inflexible is not I always tell people, you know, especially in college, you know, y'all have this like list of what you want to other person, like really specific, very specific and time sensitive. Um, and, and what's what's on there is never things that I think are most important, which are adaptability and flexibility and willingness to learn. 
Those are never on the list, but those are like three of the most essential things you need for a partnership. So I, uh, a girlfriend of mine posted this today, and I, so these are not my words, but I, it resounded so much with me, I'll, I'll share them. It said, um, learn to get up from the table when love is no longer being served. Mm -hmm. um, and I will add, don't confuse um, codependency mm -hmm. for love. So, and that happens, I think, at that age. I remember that feeling like I needed this person so much, and they needed yeah, me, and really? we couldn't go forward. I knew that he should college. Uh, and that, and yeah, that the, our futures Girl, depended upon, <laughs> and our our futures depended upon being together, and that's just that's that's not even real. It's not reality <coughs> because you are you are a person, a fully functioning human being before mm -hmm. you enter that relationship, and you will be after. Mm -hmm. You should be. You should be. I think most people who ask themselves this question are dignified. If you're in a relationship with her, and she pulls it in. So I think what you have to learn to do in college what is, is, is dignitized is when you're just hypnotized by the bit. Like the sex is so good that you just put up with a lot of bullshit. And you know it's bullshit. <laughs> and you know it's bullshit. You know, it's bullshit. you know that it's bullshit. You know what I'm saying? But you ain't never had it like that before. I understand. Um, and so I think an important thing to learn in college. That takes us back to the detoxing conversation. Yeah, detox from that. Yeah, I had to detox from that. I was celibate for eight years after that relationship. Real talk. Didn't know it was going to be that long. <laughs> but uh, I think an important thing to learn in college is the difference between good, a a a an amazing physical connection mm -hmm. and intimacy. Mm -hmm. You know. And that sometimes I think in college those things get, you know, really mixed up because you're just figuring yourself out. So I think when whenever you have to ask yourself this question, I think you have to break it down on three levels. Physical, spiritual, and mental. The mental is the love part. What is your definition of love? Um, if you haven't read All About Love by Bell Hooks, she has a great definition of love in that book. What is your definition of love? That's the mental part. What is your definition of intimacy? That's the spiritual part, digging deeper into yourself. And then what is your definition of a good sexual relationship? And if all of those aren't meeting up with those per with that person, I think that's when that question comes up. And I speak from a heterosexual point of view because that's the that's the perspective, that's the perspective that I have. Um, and I don't know if that holds because you threw well, me off when you said that don't hold true for same sex relationships. But no, I think other aspects, other okay. certain, certain other things do. Like how you process emotions and stuff. Yeah. But I think on, on what you were saying, the emotional piece though is how do I feel about myself in this relationship? Yeah. That piece is really important. If you're always questioning yourself or you're doubting yourself, you can find that that's not a person that feeds a, a security. And you may be you like the, the physical aspect of the relationship may be feeding maybe you may just be living off of the physical aspect of the relationship. And you can do that. And you, you can. can. You can do that for a really long, long. time. Lauren Hill. Oh, we don't talk Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to bring all the other reasons about what happened. But you got with that Marley. She married Marley. Or well, they didn't get married because there's some other tea behind that, but I won't put a business out there like that. But um, when 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 you when that is the only good part of your relationship mm -hmm. that you are connecting in, and you find yourself trying to work 
all the other aspects around that. around that, all the other aspects of the relationship out, then you got to get out. You got to get out. And vice versa. If you feel like, well, we're connecting mentally, um, you know, I do feel like I have a deep relationship with this person, but ah, I'm not meeting my physical needs. You know, you have to, you have to, in college, I think it's important for you to, to understand how you can bring all three levels of your being into alignment with each other. And that that is okay, that all three of those aspects of a relationship are important and vital. Okay, so this next question says, when is it going to be appropriate to critique Black Panther? Oh, I think it's appropriate. It's been yeah. it right now. Yeah, I think it's been happening. Right now. Um, it has happened. Yeah, it's yeah. been happening. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of conversations, a lot of films. We all are films. Yeah. We some yeah, I went to that movie expecting expecting it to talk about white supremacy and black people. And one of the things I love about Black Panther is that movie is completely about black people. It's now the impact that white supremacy had on our relation on black Americans' relationship with Africa. It, it, it talks about white supremacy in that way, but white supremacy is not centered in that. It more so centered is how are we going to figure this relationship out? So, um, and I think it depends on like what we're talking about particularly because I think like it's going to be different for different people. This is this is the this is, this is a different with black people. We just know yeah. that. Yeah, it is. So don't be stupid. Don't come in there on no bullshit. I just I don't know how to tell you that. Yeah. But like don't come in on no bullshit and you know this is the first time we've been seeing a black superhero in a Marvel character. You you know what the realities are. So if you, you come in there and you try to be like act like it's just another Iron Man movie, like we gonna probably like be like, you know, get the fuck out of here. We don't wanna talk about that shit. But if you're really if you really wanna have a conversation with us about how it feels to experience it, like about and you have a different experience. If you're not black, you're gonna have a different experience, and that's fine. But don't bring your experience into our experience on this occasion. Mm -hmm. Can I just say that? Can like because we are having a moment, and mm -hmm. it's been a long overdue moment, and we should be able to have that without you know people trying to be always you know you, there's always this sort of minimizing or like undermining of something we think is incredible on 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 many levels for us. This is incredible whether or not we compared to another superhero movie or not. Like when Wonder Woman came out, it was everybody was talking about it because it was centered a woman superhero. And that was a big freaking deal. And it deserved to have that moment. Um, but like if you know if you if it's invalid stuff and I think that there's there's always somebody that wants to just be a smart ass. Yeah. And then I have to explain to them why you should you yeah. not not today. <laughs> you know, so it depends on if we're talking about appropriate then we're talking about that makes me wonder like if the intention of the question is to like put it you know but i think we can talk we are having conversations about the impact of that movie i mean we met it messed us up when killmonger said where was wakanda we was like whoop, 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 wait 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 and we have been literally having conversations every night about it um and Very each conversation each conversation gets we get more and more fucked up. Yeah. Like that. We get messed up, like more and more, because it's like, this is see, this is a conversation we're not allowed to have because we're focused on white supremacy and the white gays. Right. So when we can turn and look at like, okay, like, what have we, what has this relationship been? 
Like, mm. where you been? Like, what's going on? Like, y'all we friends? Are we family? Y'all we not family? Mm. Like, is black a pan-African term? Do you not like to be called black? Why you want to be called black? Like, it's just like so many things happening um, that that I think we're having our own internal so it's yeah, I think it's fair to critique it for sure. I, I, it's not fair to just be contrary to be contrary. Yeah. And that some of the things she's got there are just wanting to be contrary. Yeah, yeah. Others have really valid critiques, like some of the things that you noticed. Yeah. Um, and I think it's high time to have a conversation about those things. And I, I'm thankful for the movie for bringing those topics up. Yeah. I, I think it's fine to critique it. I think one of the most interesting things that I noticed is everybody talks about how dynamic the women were mm -hmm. in the film but there are way more film critiques and essays written by men mm -hmm. than there are by the people who were centered mm -hmm. in the or movie. about the men. Or, or, yeah, or about or the about men. Them. And they'll just give a side note about the women, like, oh, the women were amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And these women were dynamic and just not flat characters. And so I, I think that that's really interesting. I'm not interested in critiques that see this through the white gaze. Yeah. Um, which and I, white gays doesn't just mean white people. Yeah, it means non-black. Right. Which which the the first the the first the, the the first thing that I see whenever I read a critique that puts that says this person was a villain this person was a villain this person was a hero whenever I see a critique that uses that binary because the film totally disrupted that binary then I feel like that's a critique written through the white gays. Because the, the true villain was killed off halfway through. That, that's not. That's true. Yeah, that's not true. That's all So, what does white gaze mean? Ah, good So, white gaze is basically since enslaved Africans were brought to this country, they've been watched by white people. And even when free, were watched by white people. And that gaze determines the lens through which much of the world has seen us, uh, people who come to America, how they expect to experience, how, they, how we see ourselves. Um, even, and, and that, that gaze directs right to, to the entertainment industry, to film, to television, to books, right? So like you, you can write a book about or do a movie about black people, but it's done through the view of how a white person would view a black person as opposed to you know, one of the interesting things like, I think about Get Out, and, and I'm talking about this later tonight, is that that it spun that. So it showed whiteness through the black gaze. Mm -hmm. And there's not many opportunities to do that, yeah. right? That auction scene, that silent auction scene is incredible. Mm -hmm. And it shows like, no, this is what we think, this is what we see, this is what we feel is happening, right? But that's not something people are used to seeing is whiteness through a black gaze because we're, everything is framed through a white gaze, a white white gaze, and then and then you can add a white male gaze at times, and you have white male hetero, like you can go on and on and on, white male hetero Christian, right? So there's these gazes that we're all viewed upon, and what happens is we begin to modify our behavior according to that gaze. And so we always talk about, say it like you at grandma's kitchen table, because that's how we talk when we're not in mixed company. Right when you're a mixed company, you don't say certain things, mm -hmm. and when you because that's safety. Mm -hmm. If you were to say those things in front of them, you could have got killed. It's a, it's just what happened. Right now, it's a part of our culture, but really, it's safety. So, talking outside of the white gaze or seeing things outside of the white gaze is not seeing yourself through that lens, or not seeing something you're creating. And it's very, very hard 
uh, as creative people sometimes to write outside of that gate. Mm -hmm. Like the book that I've written that, um, that, that is with my agent is like, I had to go like, see how she put that in there. That's what my agent did. I had to bunker down. Like even like my husband and family were like, oh, are you sure you want to? Because, you know, the influence of the gays is so strong. Are you sure you're going to? And I had to be like, oh, y'all got to get out of my space. Mm -hmm. This has to be through the black gays. This has to be at the kitchen mm -hmm. table. This has to be. If, if, if we want to give even correct feedback to white people, we have to start showing them what we see. Like, not just what they want us to see. Like, oh, there's one white savior or one white ally. No, sometimes there's not one. And sometimes the one that says they're an ally is not an ally. Like, you can't assign yourself the title of ally. Mm -hmm. I tell you if you're being an ally or not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's what it means for me. It's, 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 it's a, like she said, it, it affects everything we do. Like, look at your goals and, where, and, your, and your timeline for achieving those goals. What is that based on? You know what I'm saying? It's based on not a timeline that you set up, mm -hmm. but one or or who you should be or what you should do or what family is or what you name your kids what you so they get a job kid. one day. It's all based on how someone will see you and view you and and value you based on that. Another example is who's a thug and who's an activist. The kids who were in the streets of Ferguson were thugs. The kids down in Florida are activists that are getting $500,000 donations. You know what I'm saying? Both are fighting for guns to be taken out of their community and, 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 and to be kept alive. One is fighting against the state, against police, you know, not to kill them, you know? And so both, both are fighting for the same thing. I mean, a whole country mourns when someone goes into a school and shoots up kids. But Trayvon Martin is a thug, mm -hmm. you know? Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike Brown is a thug, you know, to this day. And so, and that, that's all based on, um, that, that's, that's all based on identities that were, or, or boxes that were created by people outside of our community. Exactly. And that goes back to what we talking about uh, abusive, about relationships. Yeah. So I think we don't want, like we, we talked about it, but I, I really try to hone in. This is an abusive relationship we're in with whiteness. It's abusive. Yeah. And no one would ask a woman to walk back into an abusive relationship with their partner or, or a man to walk them back. We're not at, we don't ask individuals to stay in abusive situations, but we're asking groups of people to stay in abusive situations. So when you constantly through that white gaze, you think about, like I said, what am I going to name my kids so they get a job? Am I going to change my name, give myself a nickname so that I can get a like job? This. How do I wear my hair? How do I do? I mean, like every freaking thing you do, everything you do, what are you doing? You're trying to shrink your, your blackness or your otherness so that you look normal within the culture and within the lens of this culture. It's abusive. That's one. Of the and I think right now the, the reality is like, why is it wrong that I tell you it's abusive? Why, why am I wrong for telling you that you're abusive? That I view you as abusive? Why should I? There's, a, there's this um, Muhammad Ali quote where, you know, he's being um, asked, you know, well, do you think like all white people are bad? He's like, no, I don't think all white people are bad. He said, but like, if, if there's a hallway of 10,000 snakes coming at me and only a thousand of them are poisonous and trying to kill me, should I hold the door open to see if one of them kills me or should I shut the door? Right? Like, like, that's what we're asking people to do. Hold the door to wait and see who is not going to try to harm them 
when we know that it's abusive and whether or not they even sometimes know it or mean it. Whether sometimes they even know it or mean it, they're harmful, right? So why should I hold the door open? Like that's what the white gaze demands of us. And then it says, if you say I'm abusive, then I, then you're something's wrong with you. The the white gaze, um, I mean, that's one of the reasons this podcast is called Dim Black Mamas. Mm-hmm. D E. I was I I was really adamant about the Dim Dim Black yeah. Mamas because we not we're gonna do it like we talk. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not going to we're not gonna chisel it down to make you feel good. The white gaze. Is binary, like Malcolm and Martin. You know what I'm saying? And look at what they chiseled Martin into. Like he was such a great, you know, man. He was the most hated man in America when he died. You know, pull up your pants. Why are you wearing your clothes like that? Trayvon Martin had on a hoodie. Martin Luther King had on a suit, and they shot him in the fucking face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, it is, it, 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 it. It's something that's not even real. That when we really sit down and think about it, yeah. it's a con- it's a contradiction within itself. And so you really have to free yourself, free yourself and being able to recognize it, you know, immediately when you see it. Okay. So the next question is: the white people are not listening to what we're saying. So forget dismantling the system. Mm-hmm. Why not take it over? Is that what yeah. white people are scared of? Are they scared of the most? then you're interested in switching places with white people. I'm not interested in switching places with white people. I'm not interested to see what an all-black democracy would look like. I'm interested to see what new form of government can we create. You know what I'm saying? So that, to me, that looks like, that, that looks like Democrats saying, just vote Democrats down mm-hmm. the ticket. Just mm-hmm. give Democrats control yeah. of, mm-hmm. of, of Congress and everything will be okay. No, everything will not be okay because if you, because and, and that, that also looks like Democrats trying to appeal to working class white voters, which is a myth like black people aren't working class. We don't like, we just black. We're not working class. We're not evangelical. We just black. That's all we are. You know what I'm saying? That's what that looks like instead of doing what's righteous and standing with and, and, and standing on the side of justice you're interested in obtaining power. So you're still trying to chase people who have proven they will vote against their own interests just to keep white white supremacy intact. So that's what, to, to me, that's what looks like, why don't we just take the power back? To me, why don't we create something that we've never seen yeah, or never imagined? The goal should be redistribution mm-hmm. of power. You know, I think um, what we've always wanted to see is like what I saw my, my Afro-Panamanian family doing, have establishing their own culture. Mm-hmm. We recognize that we are not in Africa. We're not stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, we recognize that we are in, but we just want to see what we can create for ourselves here. Mm-hmm. Like, so we need to, we do need to, on some level, dismantle that 
so that it can be redistributed mm. equitably, <clears throat> right? So people, so people get equality and equity mixed up all the time, right? And they're not the same thing. And we're, we're asking for equity. That's all we've, and, and honestly, we could ask for a lot more considering we built this shit. True. But <laughs> we tried. Once again, we always, we always being gracious. Oh, you know, we always being gracious. Um, and, and that's just, I think, something that's, I've accepted that's in our nature. I think people sometimes attribute that graciousness to, like, you know, conditioning of slavery. I think, I think that's just. I mean, we don't be we don't we don't be chilling. We don't be fucking like that. We just like, hey, you know, do you? We want people to be happy. We want people to be chill. Like, it's not a big thing, you know. We come from places where it's like, you know, it's chill. Like, you know, like there's water and there's there's what you need. There's resources. No point in making a big thing of it. But here, there's a big thing about everything. You know what I'm saying? And it just changes who you are. So, I mean, I I think that it's about redistribution redistribution it's about everybody having the chance to set up communities that are self-sufficient and to be able to see what their cultures can create and the myth of a melting pot ultimately always leads to homogeny and that's not somebody's always going to be having to give up a part of themselves to make that work and that's not going to work we would have to you know again i say that you know it's pop culture reference the jay-z family feud video when the women came together to redo the Constitution, I think this begins with a redoing of the Constitution, a rewriting, like throw it out, ball it up. The shit don't work, it never did. We need a new one, and we need women from all different walks of life to put it together. And I guarantee you, you give us 50 years, we'll, we'll see all women. I would do all women. At this point in my life, at this point in my life, at this moment in time, if you ask me. You're in a good place. If you ask me right now, I'm just saying. No, I'm not just. I'm just saying I'm not there. But that's good. So that maybe that's why I would. Be you put up men's table. No, I would. No. no. Also, not all women. What else? What are you gonna do? I mean, black women. Oh, women of word, color. Word, word. I mean, it would be predominantly clear the women do. Oh, okay. and it would be yeah. Okay. Maybe like one of them. What was it? Yeah. Important question again. Maybe. Um, is that what white people are scared of? Are they scared of role switching? Yes. Come on now. I have no idea. Because <laughs> I, I don't care. Like I, I really don't. I don't be checking you for white people. I'll tell care. you what somebody I told don't me. Care. I, and this, you know, I don't want to drop her name, but she's a very well researched in this area. She has a very well known book about it. And I went to her after she did this extremely thorough, well researched presentation on the effects of race and slavery and on religion on medicine. I mean, I guess I can. Yeah, but, everybody you know, already know who she is. Yeah. Do it. Everybody yeah, knows. Everybody don't know, but like that's her work. Okay, well, her work. Dr. Joy yeah. Joy. When I asked yeah. her to decide, I said, okay, I get you. I, I work. I hear you. I saw all this, but I have to know. And she said it comes down to genes. That this, that when people go out there and they say they're going to get rid of the white race, they mean that on a genetic level. If you mix white with anything, it pretty much like starts to disappear very quickly. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, that baby mixed with something. That's how we would say it. We don't know what babies always mixed with, but we say babies mixed with something. Say with black, black always shows up. You know what I mean? Like it's really it's a very dominant gene pool. You know, so there's a legitimate self-preservation fear. And somebody's like far reaches of it, we we call them like fringe. But I think that we have to remember that that was that that piece was really, really embedded 
into white culture in America to justify slavery. It was really, it was a huge propaganda campaign on a biological level. On it, it was, they did science, they used religion, they used medicine oh, on yeah, every front. Yeah, it was yeah. documented that if you let them in, they will they will take yeah. over. And so I do think on a big level, that is a huge fear that even if today people are a little more distant, they haven't been around that propaganda. It's you know we know that stuff has passed on in different ways. You know so. I mean, I think that's a that's real. Mom, she said, you believe them. When they say that they're afraid of the white race being extinct, I mean, look at the country. Like, it's not, a, it's, it's like, not not necessarily the weakest gene pool, but in terms of features, which is what they base race on. They, raise, they base race on our features, on yeah. phenotypes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of features, you know, it, it, it gets two, two rounds and you ain't gonna know, right? You gonna see the black in there pop up. Then sometimes it'll skip. Yeah, sometimes it's good. You'd be like, what? And you'd be like, where does that yeah. come from? Yeah, sometimes it's black. Who have you been with? <laughs> Is there another? No, those are all of the questions. Yay. So I just want to say thank you once again for all of you coming and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. You all are all my honorary aunties. Yes! Hey, auntie. Hey, auntie. All of you, especially when you all touched on uh, like recreating like something new, like that's mm -hmm. something that um, I've watched Sharon, like we always mm -hmm. talk about, like, you should create like a theory, like just like, change everything like mm -hmm. we're not gonna uh like try to like because like we always talk about like role switching and how that's not positive and how mm -hmm. it's not gonna get us anywhere it's not what we want it's not what we want yeah mm -hmm. so like yeah I mean, you use that yay, yay. Yes, I use that. Yeah, so thank you thank all you so much for having and us and you can um follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at dem black mamas d-e-m Black Mamas. If you have questions for us, you can. Um, oh, we have a website now. You can also check us out at our website. Yay! Yes. Yes. Um, or you can hit us up on Gmail uh, at themblackmamas at gmail.com or inbox us or uh, DM us if you have a question for us because sometimes we read um, things that we get from our listeners. Oh, so, listener letters. Yeah. You get to hear the Crystal Peaches voice. Oh, yeah, wow. I do my Crystal Peaches voice because Shirley Strawberry is on the Steve Harvey show. <laughs> and South Carolina produces more peaches than Georgia. People don't know that, but we let Georgia have that because we have other things like racism yeah. and the Confederate <laughs> <laughs> But And the first to secede from the Union. I always remind people when they're like, what's wrong with South Carolina? We were the first. To see. And we're holding on to that legacy. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm Crystal Peaches when I'm reading the letters, mm -hmm. not Crystal Strawberry. Thank so, you. For thank you so thank much you. for having us. Thank you. Listen, listen carefully.